Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, would you open it to Jeremiah 17? Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 8 is where we'll be today. And while you're turning there, just a reminder, we are in a series, a series entitled Finding Peace, The Battle Against Anxiety. And we have gone through several different uh, topics through this, prayer as the essential weapon in finding peace, and then just facing the fear of safety and um, loneliness and also the future. And then today, we get to dive into facing the fear of people and finding peace. So we'll do that as we look at Jeremiah 17 together. I'm going to read it, and then after that I'll pray, and we'll go at it. So the Word of God says this, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. In contrast, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for your mercy upon this moment. We ask that you would fill us all with the power of your Holy Spirit. That there would just be a, a rising of our faith, a confidence in your promises a conviction that you are with us and that your word is true and that your gospel is good news for anyone who calls upon your name in faith. Father, pour out your grace in this moment to save and sustain your people. And I pray, God, that we would find a great sense of victory and hope and peace as we face our fears, not pushing them aside, but owning them in order that we might find healing and be agents of healing in the lives of others. So please work in this moment, I pray, towards these ends for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, in this intro, I just wanted to kind of be a bridge from Easter Sunday to right now. And on Easter Sunday, I spent some time looking at multiple texts, but one of them was Psalm 46. And this week, I have just struggled to forget Psalm 46, which is a good thing. Because Psalm 46, those promises there have just been such a rock of confidence for me. The hope that lies there in Psalm 46, verse 2, which says, Therefore, we will not fear. Although the mountains give way and fall into the sea and everything is crashing around us, we won't fear because, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And then he goes down in verse 4 to explain what it means that he's present with us in our trouble. And it is that he is like a river going through a city. And it says, he is a river that makes glad the city of God. We are the city of God and we are his holy habitation and he is in the midst of us. And therefore we can be firm and steady. That promise has been so encouraging to me that there is victory to be found in the face of fear. And then, as I was reading this week, I collided with Psalm 36. 
Psalm 36, verses 7 and 8 say this. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you, O God, give them drink from the river of your delights. I heard river, and I thought Psalm 46. I studied the word river there in Psalm 36, and that word river has in it the idea of torrents of water. Like you might have heard the phrase torrential downpour. It is just the heaviness of water. So don't think brook or gently flowing creek. Think floodwaters so strong that they can carry a car away. This is what God says his love is like for us in the midst of our fear. He's saying that he is working in our midst like this heavy flood type, torrential type waters, but it's waters of delight. It's waters to bring us gladness. And I was just blown away. Like this God is not just like beside us on the couch, although that would be good. And he's not just in front of us where we can kind of relate to him. Literally this river torrential waters is working inside our hearts. The very area where our fears reside. And also where our anger is found or our lust or our greed or our despair. He is there, working there. His presence in powerful love is working within our hearts. And that just, I begin there because we need to be encouraged that there is victory to be found in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to know there is hope as we face the fear of so many things. Safety, loneliness, future, people. And today, as we face the fear of fearing people, we need to have this confidence like there is victory to be had. Hope is in the foreview that peace can be ours. So today, as we set our sights upon facing the fear of people, we need to set our sights with victory in view. And so we will do that um, by looking at four truths. Four truths today as we face the fear of people and find peace in Christ. The first point is, first truth, fearing people leaves us longing. Fearing people leaves us longing. The second point is fearing people leads to rebelling. The third point, God heals those who fear people. And number four, God still uses those who fear people. Well, let's begin with the first one. Fearing people leaves us longing. In order to find deliverance from the fear of people, we have said in multiple different weeks that we must own our fear. Now, some of you might be, I don't know that I struggle with fear, man. Others of you are convinced you struggle with it. And I just want to say we all struggle with it. Here's some examples of how fearing people is common to humanity. Do you have fears of confrontation? Do you have fears of criticism? Fears of conversation? Fears of public speaking? Fears that say, I wonder what they think of me. Or do you have a preoccupation with image? Or do you place scenarios or conversations over in your head, wondering how you looked or how they perceived you? Do you have sometimes a longing to be famous, to be really known? 
Do you have times when you are embarrassed to say you believe in God or you're afraid to take the gospel and speak it to people? Are you afraid to ask a question in a group sometimes in fear that you might look stupid? Do you seek to avoid people? Are you jealous of people? Whether good or bad, do you have obsessive thoughts about people? The list can keep going. I think it is clear, at least with a few of these, we all battle and struggle with fear, fear of people. And Jeremiah 17, 5 says, when that fear comes, we have to make a decision. Will we be trusting in man? Will we lean upon people to fill us up, to give us significance and worth? Or will we lean upon the Lord? Those who trust in man and in flesh is their strength, they are turning from the Lord and they will be like a shrub in the midst of the desert, drying up. But those who trust in the Lord, where the Lord is your trust, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, constantly nourished, fears and anxieties pushed away because your confidence is in the Lord. So the beginning step in moving away from the fear of people is that we own our fears. If you don't own it, you will continue to struggle with it. A pastor friend of mine, Brett Lewis, he said this, whatever you resist will persist. So when we resist to own our fears and to acknowledge we have this problem, those fears will continue. However, the ownership of it begins to push away the fears. Now, we know that we have gone from a loving person to a person that fears the very people that we might even be trying to loving, trying to love is this. It's we shift from desiring approval or acceptance or inclusion. We shift from desiring it to needing it. I need your approval. I need your acceptance. I need your inclusion and that needing someone else to fill you up is a broken perspective it's a well that's got a hole in it and water just seeps out it's dangerous and when you have this craving for approval and acceptance and inclusion and that craving becomes ultimate we are fearing people fearing people leaves us longing it's like if you eat candy only for dinner, it might seem tasty at the time, but it leaves us looking for something more. It leaves us longing for substance and sometimes maybe even Tums or Pepto-Bismol because that's not what our stomachs are meant to be fed by. It, we need substance. We need something more. And we are created for more than just the approval of people and the inclusion by people. We are meant to be filled up with God. In his book, Ed Welch, uh, his book, What Do You Think of Me and Why Do I Care? He says this, now it's one thing to want people to like you, but it's another to live for the approval of people. How do you know if you've shifted to living for the approval of people? Well, you know it's reached that painful level of living for the approval of people when you experience a deep pain not just that hurts, but a sense of, of, of a depth of pain where you even want to hurt yourself or you're just thinking horrible thoughts of sadness when maybe you've received rejection or you're made fun of and all of a sudden there's a depth of sadness that is exponentially deep. Or 
when your internal dialogue goes, I am worthless, I am insignificant, I am not valuable, when somebody criticizes you or when you make mistakes with others, you begin to know that all of a sudden you've begun to live for the approval of people. You are battling with the fear of people. Or what if you have outbursts of anger when someone doesn't do what you want them to do or they're not doing what you thought they should do or when you can't make someone act like you want. When you explode, that is an expression of the fear of people. And these are real pains, whether it's the explosion or whether it's the deep, sad hibernation. These are the real pains of the fear of people. My pastor friend, Brett Lewis, he continues to say, as we process this idea of, do we have the fear of people and how can we begin to find it and uproot it? He says this, when you have a $100 response to a $10 issue, we need to know where the other $90 is coming from. I thought that was so helpful. When you have a $100 response, an explosion or massive depth of sadness, over a $10 issue, we've got to figure out where the other $90 is coming from. So for instance, you explode that someone ate food that you were saving for yourself, or you're angry because you got no help in the kitchen, or people are leaving stuff everywhere. Why did you explode at the room when those things relatively small happened? And you begin to process, why did I do that? And you might answer, well, I feel disrespected or I feel unappreciated. And you might have been feeling that for days. You might have been feeling that for years. That feeling might even go all the way back to your childhood. This feeling of not being valued or not being respected or not being loved or appreciated. The final thing that my friend Brett Lewis says is that if your response is hysterical it's probably historical, which means there's something in the past that has contributed to your explosion and your $100 response. Now, what do we do with these explosions? We must begin to be honest with this. We must process this in a community, at least with a few, regarding our past. But let me just say, like, we're not walking around constantly just always processing our, our emotions. I mean, we have too much going on. We have to work. We are to love people and serve people. We're to spend time in stillness before the Lord and just seek his face. But when things get hysterical, when all of a sudden the emotions get extreme, when the sadness gets low, these are tipping points that we must stop and be still and sit with the Lord and allow him to do some surgery in our heart or ask a dear friend or process the past with a counselor what is going on because there are tributaries into that explosive moment. One tributary is that there are some past things that contribute to how we respond, but another one is not just the past, it's our hearts. Late counselor David Pallison noted that when our desires shift into demands, that's when you know there is an idol in the heart and something is going wrong inside the heart. Now, let's be clear. Approval, safety, inclusion, acceptance, these are not bad desires. However, 
those desires were never meant to be fulfilled ultimately by people. God is the one who fully accepts us, who cares for us, who protects us and includes us in his family and accepts us with an unconditional love by faith. And so regarding fearing people, when the desire to be loved and accepted and affirmed and included and wanted turns into, I need to be this, you must give me this, then all of a sudden that demand has moved our hearts into the crushing trap of the fear of people. So in order to be healed, we must own it and be honest that we are fearing people. However, please don't be afraid of that moment because when God gives you eyes to see that fear exists, it is God revealing these things to you. And therefore, God is saying, I'm showing you the sickness because I am working to heal you. It's a Holy Spirit moment. It's an anointed time when the Spirit of God promises to work in your life. Now, I have a brief qualifier. As we're working through these cravings and acceptance and battling with fear of people, I also want to say some of you are hurting in the midst of this. Some of you are hurting, though, because you are experiencing a depth of pain from really bad people. Because there are bad people out there that are abusive and who attack and hurt people physically and deeply emotionally. And I just want to insert briefly, Jesus knows how you feel. Those of you who are abused physically who are battling with that, I pray that you have the courage to talk to a counselor or if the situation merits it, to remove yourself from the situation. Sometimes you might even need to get the authorities involved or you need to share these struggles with a trusted counselor, a few trusted leaders within the church and pastors. But I just want to say unequivocally, I am sorry for your hurt. You do not need to hear this message and feel condemned that you're battling with the fear of man. What you need to feel is the arms of Jesus coming around you and saying, I am there with you. I know what it's like to go through this pain because our Savior came. He came and he experienced abuse. He experienced neglect. He experienced abandonment. And he knows what it's like to be left alone, seeming to fight this battle on his own from those who are physically hurtful and deeply emotionally against you. I just pray that when you feel trapped, you don't feel alone because our Savior wants your pain. He understands your pain. So in your mistreatment, I pray that you run to the loving arms of Jesus as one who can identify and one who can bring healing in the midst of all that you're going through. But for all of us now, whether we are in the extreme cases or whether we are just battling with the fear of man, in order to find healing and freedom in the battle against the fear of people, we must acknowledge we all have it. We must own it. And we must re remember that when we fear people, we are demanding from them only what God was meant to give. And therefore, the next point 
makes it plain that fearing people leads to rebellion because to fear people is to rebel against God. The second point is fearing people leads to rebelling. One of the best illustrations of this is found in Numbers 13 and 14. And if you're following in our path from healing, you own it. And then the next step is examine it. This is time when we are kind of examining ourselves. And we look at the Old Testament there, Numbers 13 and 14. And what we find is Moses is sending out some spies to check out the land in which God is going to take them. And as they go, it's kind of a recon mission for them to kind of figure out what is there and then to bring back a report to the people. And as they go... There's a group of them. Two of them come back with a good report, but the majority of them come back with a bad report. And here's what we hear from one who comes back with a good report. His name is Caleb. Numbers 13, verse 30. It says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, Caleb is not just an optimistic guy. He has heard the promises of God that he is going to take them to the promised land. And so he is a, has a sense of confidence. When he looked at this land, he saw that God is going to take us through that. However, verse 31, Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Isn't it amazing how the heart of faith and the heart of fear can interpret the exact same situation so differently. But when these fearful individuals came back, their report was the people seem so big and we seem as small as grasshoppers. And it created fear in the whole camp. But what the people were not understanding is that they were not just communicating that they were small and the people were big. They were communicating that they thought their God was small. And this is what happens with the fear of people, that we begin to elevate and magnify the power of people and we begin to diminish the power of God. Keep in mind, this is the God who just delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians, just split the Red Sea, just carried a million plus over on dry ground, who just judged the Egyptians who pursued them and had the waters crash back over top of them. And now they find themselves not trusting this God and thinking he is small because they are afraid. They seem so small in the face of the giants of the land. And so that's what we read in Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. The passage goes on to say that they began to grumble against Moses and Aaron for poor leadership. And then they began to say, give us a new leader who will take us back to Egypt. Really? We want to go back to slavery and captivity and death? But that's how fear works. It's not logical. It begins to crave the things that will actually destroy. But then Joshua and Caleb, they come and they speak up and they tear their clothes. And in Numbers 14, verse 7, they say this. 
And they said to all the congregation of the people, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread to us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them, i.e. fear the Lord. And what's the congregation's response when they hear this admonition to fear God more than people? It says literally, and they pick up stones to stone Joshua and Caleb. But then the glory of God appeared at the tent of meeting and stopped them in their tracks. And then the Lord speaks to Moses and says this. Here's the punchline of the whole thing. Fear of people is not just a sin against people and not just destructive to us. Ultimately, the fear of people is a rebellion against God. Listen to God's summary. Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? This is an invitation for us to meditate upon the salvation of our God, upon the goodness of our God, upon the promises of our God that have been secured by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because if not, we'll find ourselves only examining ourselves and run away with our own narrative rather than the cross examination that we need. We need God's word to speak in to this moment. And we need to refuse, like Jeremiah 17 says, refuse to trust in man and turn towards the Lord and trust in him. Now, here is something that is crucial. The sin of the fear of people is literally it's the pushing of God aside and it's saying, I will either satisfy my own longings or I will lean on someone else to do so. Hear this. The fear of people leads to rebelling. And sometimes the fear that we carry around, it's not necessarily attached to the future or to a fear of safety or to the fear of uh, people, but it's just attached to the fact that we are walking in active sin and not turning back to the Lord. For many of us, our fear simply comes because we are running from God. You know what God is calling you to, and yet you walk in overt, sometimes covert, sin. Looking at images, failing to serve people, having a hurtful tongue where you're hurting others, walking in pride, racism, bitterness, unforgiveness. These things can create in your heart a low level of fear, or it can even create a Mount Everest-type fear. But make no mistake, if we refuse to follow God, we will experience fear. But to say it positively, part of being fear, free from fear is agreeing with God. It is saying yes to what he says to do in his word, and it is being willing to go and to do whatever, wherever, whenever he calls us to do it. And in so doing, we walk into a path of peace and into a path of freedom and away from the path of fear.
So yes, we fear people by demanding that from them what only God can give us. And we must acknowledge that this fear of people is a dangerous thing. It is a rebellion against God. But we also must know that that very God of whom we've rebelled against, that God delights to heal those who fear people. The third point is God heals those who fear people. I don't know if you've ever walked on a, a longer physical journey of healing where you have needed consistent, regular for years kind of doctor visits. Well, we have walked through that with our uh, little girl, Mercy, age three or four or so. She was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, and we've been at Duke Hospital ever since. She's um, 12 years old now, and we have regular visits there. And as we are there, we've had one doctor who was with us when we made hard decisions about medicine, when we had to have IVs, all these kind of things. And this doctor has walked with us through this entire journey of healing. She has been a great facilitator of the healing of God. And she is, has cried with us. She has laughed with us. She has run up and down the halls with mercy. And it is just, she's such a gift because as she has walked with us, she's gotten close. And when someone walks with you through healing, there is a closeness that can develop. And what we need to see here is that in our battle against anxiety and our labor for healing, we are not alone. Our Savior has entered in and he promises to be with us the whole way, to walk the journey with us. And it's a process. It's a process to find healing from the fear of people. It's not an overnight change, but Jesus by his spirit is in us and with us. And therefore, as he is with us, just like that doctor with us, there's a closeness that develops. There's an intimacy that develops. There's a relationship that develops as we walk with him and he walks with us. And one way he is with us is that we have his words. And in Luke chapter 12, we find our great Savior giving us words that can serve as a cross-examination to the fear of people. And it tells us where healing of the fear of people comes from. It begins with our fear of God. Let's look at chapter 12 of Luke together. At the beginning of Luke 12, the context is Jesus saying in the midst of a crowd to his disciples, Be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. That is... Their teaching and their lifestyle aren't congruent. They say one thing and they do another. It says that is hypocrisy. And so Jesus tells his disciples, I'm telling you these things in secret right now, but what is told to you in the dark, you need to proclaim in the light. But as you proclaim it in the light, rest assured, there will be those like the Pharisees, there will be even the Pharisees that come against you for walking faithfully in the light, proclaiming me as the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is just a note that we must take to the bank. When we faithfully walk with Jesus, there will come attack and enemies. And so he says to address the fear of people in chapter 12, verse 4, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. 
Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than the sparrows. Our God, the God who has control not just over this life, but of what's most important over eternal life. He says, two birds sold for just mere pocket change are not forgotten by him. Therefore, you have so much more value. Please know you will not be forgotten by God no matter what kind of attack you experience. You are loved. He's got all the hairs on your head numbered. And so what he does to those who are going to walk out in faithfulness and who will experience attack and fear or attack from people and therefore could experience fear of those people, he says, know how much I love you. Know how much you are never going to be forgotten. And let me reorient your values and say, life is more than just life or death here, but I can control life forever. And so don't fear people. Fear me, he says. Because I have the power to cast into hell and I have the power to grant eternal life for those who trust in me. So the first way that he, the first recipe for healing is that he's telling us to reorient our values to find not life here, but life with him forever as the greatest prize. And second, the most foundational is that the fear of people is pushed aside as we begin to fear the Lord who loves us. And so what would it look like to kind of orient our life and decision making around, I fear you, God? Well, I was looking at a devotional book and in that devotional book, they asked this question and I found it so helpful on what it might look like to walk in the fear of the Lord. It says this, how might it change my day today if I ceased to look for human approval and sought only the approval of God. What would that look like? Another way would be when we're making decisions or we're debating on whether we will act or not, we could ask this question. Is this action or this decision for Jesus sake or for my sake? Another one is, is this action or decision from faith? That would be from the fear of God or is it from the fear of others? These things are crucial in helping us kind of figure out are we walking in the fear of the Lord or are we being shackled by the fear of people? Well, the path of healing that God lays out for us in this journey to face the fear of people and to find healing is that same path that we've been articulating. Own your fear. Examine your fear. Why is this fear here? Then cross-examine that fear with the cross of Jesus Christ and the scriptures and allow God to speak in. And as his word is laid bare, maybe it's Luke 12. Maybe it's the Numbers 13, 14 passage. Maybe it's last week's Psalm 46 or Psalm 112. As we allow the scriptures to come to bear upon our emotions and our reality, then all of a sudden with that cross-examination, we are being led to confess. To confess sin that begins to be exposed. Wrong views of ourselves, wrong views of God, wrong sense of 
that he is not working or he is not with us. Those things need to be repented of. So we confess sin, which is repentance, but we also confess faith, which is the rejoicing that our God is who he says he is, that he's with us, that he calls us precious and loved and cherished. And on Thursday, when I was in the word and I was confessing sin and I was also confessing my faith in Jesus, I wrote this as it comes to the fear of people. More than any people... Oh God, I must cast my heart at Jesus as the first satisfier of my heart, not people. And then scriptures began to flood my mind. And it was Psalm 90 verse 14. Satisfy me early in the morning with your steadfast love that I may rejoice and be glad all my days. And then Psalm 145. Open your hand and satisfy me, O God. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. And then Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be left longing. These things just begin to flood my heart and to fill my confession that Jesus is enough. He does satisfy us. Now, for some of us, as we are battling the fear of people and we walk through that path, we get stuck in, in the process. And some of that getting stuck comes because we are so overwhelmed by the narrative of the hurt that people have caused to us. And so many times that gets stuck around phase two when we own it. Yes, I'm fearful, but in the examination phase, we stop there and it's, it's a struggle to even let the word of God shine light in because the hurt is so deep. And I just want to encourage you and I want to caution you. I want to encourage you that that kind of deep hurt, it takes time. And I just want to invite you into a journey of time with Jesus. Lament, carry that pain to the Lord, spend the time in the Psalms and sometimes allow those psalmists to put words to your feelings, but stay in the word and take all of your pains to him. That's the encouragement. But I, I offer you a caution. Sometimes when you create the space to battle and to deal with your hurt, we can erect walls. Ed Welch says those walls, or he says they're even masks at times, we put on in order to distance ourselves from people. It could be our intellect, show that we're smart. It can be uh, just preoccupation and busyness. It can be just creativity. It can be a working too much. It can be all kinds of things that allow us to find significance, but to keep people at a distance. And here's a quote that I found very helpful from Ed Welch. He says this, one problem with masks and walls is that though their purpose is to protect you from hurt, they hurt you even more because they don't allow relationships. You can't have a deeper relationship if you won't allow yourself to be known. All this leads to a dead end. If you allow people to know you, you get hurt. If you protect yourself from people, you get hurt. It ends in misery. But there is another way, he says. This better way allows us to be open and honest and a part of a community where we don't have to put up defensive walls. And he asked the question, have you ever been there? And I just want to invite you. It doesn't have to be with everyone. But there must be one, two, a few people that you begin to let in in this journey of healing because healing will not happen in solo. It will happen alone with God in a togetherness. 
And so in various degrees, we must tear down the walls that we might have erected by the power of the Spirit. And we must allow ourselves to be known. And that means, just to be clear, it means that there we might be misunderstood again. We might even be possibly hurt. But it also means that we are opening the door to be known. And we are opening the door to love somebody else and for our gifts to be used as a means of grace in the lives of others. And so I just encourage you on this path of healing, our God delights to heal those who battle with the fear of people. He even says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is a confession we can make that we are not orphans, we are children. And we have the spirit of God with us, within us that tells us we are loved and we are safe in Christ. That's why he can say in Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord, he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears because our God delights to heal. Yes, to heal from the fear of people. And what does that, as we walk in this path, what does that kind of culmination, what does freedom from fear even look like? If it's possible, what does that freedom from fear look like? Well, one sentence might help. It's not all of it, but it might help. When you love people, not for your sake, but for God's. When you love people, not for your sake, but for God's, because you are convinced his glory is their joy. His glory is your joy. And what that does is it allows you to forgive because sin becomes first about sinning against God and not first about sinning against you. It allows you to be broken more than you are upset. And it releases the, the burden of bitterness that you might want to hold on to. You can even become more concerned about how something makes God look rather than how it makes you look. This is what freedom begins to look like. And finally, the culmination. The culmination of this journey is not just to find personal peace, but is to be an instrument of God's peace to others. Do you know that God still uses you? He will still use you even though you're a person that battles with fear of people. 1 John chapter, or 1 John the book kind of could be summarized with this phrase, loved ones love, loved ones love. And this helps us understand this fourth point that God still uses those who fear people. He still uses us because as we are loved by God, then he works within us with his perfect love to then help us love others. That's the culmination of this journey is not just to know that we, we struggle with fear and not just to find personal healing, but that then we're made instruments of healing in the lives of others. We find peace and then we become peacemakers. First John tells us that loved ones love. It even says perfect love casts out fear. His perfect love fuels our love for people and it begins to push aside the fear of others. Now, people have an important role. You have an important role in the life of people, but it is not to fill up their emotional cup. It's to point to the one who will fill them up. That is to point to God. So through our actions and our words, people are meant to encourage one another. 
They're meant to complement one another's weaknesses. So we're not meant to be omnicompetent. We're meant to be strong here and weak here. And so we work together as a team of love, spreading the name of Jesus and working for human flourishing. We're also meant to point one another to Jesus. And we do that by weeping with each other, by laughing with each other, by rejoicing. We're meant to persuade others, those who don't know Jesus, persuade them to be reconciled to God. This is the role of people. But make no mistake, we are to model Jesus, not usurp him. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the longings of our heart. And we are not meant to be that for others. We're meant to point to Jesus as the one who can satisfy so dear friends, when you struggle and you feel like that God won't use me, I'm too bad. This journey of fearing people has just been with me too long. I just want to encourage you. He will use you. His perfect love will wash you clean. And there's no other place to go than Peter, right? When Peter tells us that even in the midst of his denial, in the midst of his fearing of people, our Savior came to him and recommissioned him. So even though people, Peter lied, denying Jesus three times, Jesus comes to him and recommissions him saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? An echo of the three denials. But to say that no matter those three denials, you come to me. If you love me, I forgive you and I commission you. And the same is true for us. In our wounds, in our hurt, in our fear of people, Jesus is coming to us on this path of healing. He has an aim that we would be commissioned arrows of love to those around us. He comes to us and he says, be still, own your fears, seek me, allow my word to examine your heart, turn from your sin and confess it, sit with me and I will sit with you and confess with your mouth your faith in me and begin to walk in freedom, begin to walk in love. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would free your people from the fear of others. And that, Father, we would find your peace as we sit with you in your word and as we meditate on you and as we live our lives. I just ask, oh God, that you would come and set us free from the fear of people. And then you would equip us and you would fill us with the fruit of love that we might be instruments of your peace as you grant us peace in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.